Thank you, Jared. And uh, you're going to record this, correct, Jared? Excellent. Thank you, sir. And uh, we'll put this back into our Zoom meeting um, archives. So once again, folks, welcome to a Fresh Fire Fellowship teaching um, evening. Uh, as we have said before, we say it again, Brother Marcus, please do not look at the time and please just teach with well, everything that the Holy Ghost has for you tonight. In Jesus' name, we want it all. Uh, if somebody needs to leave because of a time constraint, uh, they, it is very easy to leave here. We want to just make sure that you have full reign to be able to uh, share everything that the Holy Ghost has got on your heart to share, whatever that may be. Amen. Any questions, brother? Um, no, I guess not. Good <laughs> stuff. Excellent. Well, we're coming off such a powerful, powerful evening of prayer and ministry last night. All of us are still feeling, I'm sure, the effects of that powerful move of Holy Ghost that we had on this prayer last night. What God did in, uh, what is it, um, Freedom Victory Center, Victory Freedom Center in Capascasing. And uh, some awesome things that are happening up there. The synergy that is in the spirit. So, Brother Marcus, take it away and uh, teach the word of the Lord. Let it rip. Alrighty. Praise God. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I re really regret not being able to be on last night. Uh, I did have a prior commitment. I was going to try to get on afterwards, uh, but that didn't work out either. So... I, uh, if you guys recorded it last night, I'd love to see it, but um, if not, praise God, we're just still rejoicing at everything that we were, were feeling in the weekend, and um, I, uh, I, I, almost, I almost wanted to suggest, well, maybe, maybe it's not the right time for it to do a teaching night after such a, such a busy schedule, but, um, and the other side, too, I was a little bit nervous because, um, I did get one request for, for an idea to teach about, uh, but that was it. So I was like, well, does that mean they don't, they don't really want me to teach, or am I just supposed to uh, kind of flow? Uh, can, can everybody hear me okay? I'm not, I'm not cutting in or out. Okay, I just want to no, make sure. No, you're, you're good, brother. Uh, everything's coming through real clear. Okay. Um, just, just from me to you. I believe that one of the reasons why you may not have gotten any uh, subjects coming in is because the Holy Ghost wants it to be that way for you to uh, speak to the body tonight. So, whatever the Holy Ghost gives you, brother, we are we are have a uh, we have a uh, open uh, open heart tablets tonight. In Jesus' name. All right. All right. Praise God. Hallelujah. God is so good. I I uh, like I said I did get one request from uh, brother Jerry. And uh, he had a question about fallen angels. So if it's all right, I'll uh, go ahead and cover that as well as I can. I, I'm certainly not an expert, but um, I, I, uh, I am, uh, I've been kind of intrigued with an idea that uh, Brother Good kind of dropped in my lap a few weeks ago. Uh, he mentioned that, you know, if there's all these devils that can do things like depress you and and uh, make you anxious and and just all the wickedness you know 
uh, devils of fear and does devils of infirmity and sickness and all kinds of different ones. If uh, if that's true, couldn't there be the opposite spirits, you know, uh, in, in the angelic realm? And I've been I've been really thinking a lot about that and kind of dwelling on that. And and I really like that. And I I don't know I don't we're not really gonna talk about that tonight. I guess I, I like I said I'm not the expert when it comes to angel stuff, but just wanted to say in the same in this same spirit realm of angelic beings, whether they be fallen or not, uh, it's a very intriguing idea that these guys uh, are able to minister, as we see in the book of Revelations, uh, sorry, uh, the book of Hebrews, rather, that uh, they are there to minister to us. We might as well just kind of look at that. That'd be in Hebrews chapter 1. And... Uh, says in verse 13 of Hebrews 1, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And in another place uh, earlier than that, he called them um, uh, ministers uh, in flame of fire, quoting out of the Old Testament. And it's really intriguing a lot of times when we think about these these beings that were created. And the question comes up a lot of times, okay, we, we understand that there's there's obviously good angels. The Bible talks quite a lot about it. And the, it may even be that the Bible talks more about evil spirits uh, than it does about angelic spirits. But we, we know that they all come from originally being made of God, of course, because everything is. And uh, it's such a big subject, it's it's hard to break into one little idea. But uh, just uh, if you bear with me, just a few rambling thoughts uh, that I've, I've had. Um, a lot of people will ask, you know, when exactly did the angels fall? And that's a, that's a really good question because it's, it's hard to determine with the, in the Bible. I there there's a couple of hints though. There's a couple of hints when God made them. Sometimes we get the idea that um before creation maybe God was just kind of sitting around and I don't know wherever he's from kind of sitting around saying, "Okay boys, what do we do today?" You know, and, and I just have a hard time thinking that that God is is really like that. He he's constantly on uh, a purpose. He he's he's not someone that's ever going to just rest around. And I think it's just a matter of we don't understand uh, beyond the veil. Uh, we understand there is a beyond the veil. And if you don't know what I mean, uh, that means just beyond that that screen that seems to be between us and the spirit realm. We can touch that. We can sense that. We can see into that. Uh, by the Holy Ghost, of course, and as the Lord allows, and as we grow in those things. But uh, you know, when we when we get up to those things, um, we can sense a lot of it. But I think Paul says it best in First Corinthians thirteen. Uh, from this side, it's kind of like looking into a very dim mirror, and uh, it's even as sensitive as we can be in the spirit at times. And God 
privileges us to be have great sensitivity at times in the spirit. But even so, we still can't see everything. And uh, I hope I'm not discouraging anybody. Keep trying. Keep pushing. You know, keep keep seeking to see as much and hear as much as you can in that realm. But I think it's a basic misunderstanding of the nature of God. I'm hearing something. Anybody else hearing like an echo or something? I'm not sure where that's coming from, but anyway. Uh, I hope it's not on my end. <laughs> um, no, we're good, brother. Okay. Um, so... Uh, what was I saying? Yes, we uh, when, when we're talking about these spiritual things, I know we in this group have encountered a lot of this kind of teaching, and um, I guess mostly what I can do with this is kind of confirm some things, hopefully, and not mess things up too bad. But I like to say, before the beginning, there was no before. You know, I mean, the beginning was the beginning. It was the beginning of space and time, and so... What was God doing before creation? Well, it's not like he was before. He simply is in an eternal, infinite state. And it's so hard for us to understand that because no matter how much Bible we read, no matter how much praying we do, no matter how much tongue-talking we do, we our brains, that, that gray matter between our ears, never fully grasps a hold of everything beyond that veil and the way God does things in a timeless manner because he's made us this way and even Jesus himself um, Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 he was come in the fullness of time and so when it comes to those things we we will ask questions like well when were the angels created were they with God if we can say this before the creation, it may be that they weren't. Did I did I in, uh, invite you to turn to the book of Job yet? If I didn't, you can turn to the book of Job. We'll look at a scripture there real quick. Uh, in the book of Job, chapter 38, uh, we have a lot of chapters of Job, you know, bemoaning his fate, which um, I guess we can give him a... Uh, a break because he, he he had it pretty tough and uh i'm not saying it was right i'm just saying we'd probably all do worse well, at least probably i would and uh but he he had a pretty good um encouragement group uh, not really uh these guys were false encouragers as supposedly as friends and the whole time they sat around trying to make him realize just how evil he was and he's saying boys that's not it there's something wrong, and he even got so far as to suggest that maybe the Almighty was being, you know, not very nice to him and unfair and not very just. And after all this, in chapter 38, in verse number 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Ouch. You know, my goodness, the, the Lord shows up in a whirlwind and starts asking you those kind of questions. It's serious. Um, gird up now thy loins like a man. I mean, uh, how much tougher can it get for Job? I, I, I'm fascinated by the story of Job because the Lord let this, who he calls perfect man, he, he allows him to, to go through all these things. He even takes counsel in heaven. He even lets the devil walk into the councils of heaven and that's that's part of what we 
we can kind of look at here tonight for a bit too. Uh, what is this council in heaven? We won't get too deep into that because I really don't know what it is. But he's he's saying, you know, have you considered this guy? He's perfect. And after he lets him go through all this stuff without any kind of prior knowledge or warning or, you know, he even, even his friends that were going to be comforting him weren't too much of a comfort. Uh, the only guy that seemed to speak anything good was Elihu. And even even he didn't give Job too many breaks. And after all this, the Lord shows up out of a whirlwind and says, you need to, you need to start acting like a man. It's, it's like, wow, okay. And he starts asking him some questions that give us some hints about those early days. Verse number four says, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. And of course, Job doesn't say anything. Who hath laid the measures thereof that thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? And uh, first of all, I mean, how are you going to answer a question and you don't even really know what the question is? I mean, some of these questions are like, well, what is the Lord even talking about? You know, or, or is this just King James English that, that we're having trouble with? I don't know. But um, he says, who, who's laid the measures up, if you know, or who hath stretched the line upon it? I'm not sure what that line is. Some people suggest it's the equator. Anyway, verse number six says, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? I, I guess I guess the earth has a cornerstone. I mean, there's a big uh, big um, uh, a group of people these days that have gone back to believing the earth is flat. And if you're one of those p people, uh, please don't be offended by what I'm saying here. I, I probably don't think anybody is, but if you are, uh, please don't be offended. Uh, I'm certainly not making fun of it. I've never been up in space. Um, <laughs> I've never seen the curvature of the earth from space. So uh, I'm only assuming by some things we can see with our natural eyes. It really is a spherical thing. But here it's saying there's a cornerstone. And then verse number 7 says something kind of intriguing. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So were, there, were they there? And we have a reason to believe that these uh, sons of God, these, these stars, morning stars, were angelic beings, angelic hosts. So were they there while he was creating or were they there during creation? It's hard to say. Uh, someone would suggest since they're named after the stars uh, or after, as they're compared to the stars, maybe they were created on day four. And some people reject those ideas. But anyway, why, why am I going through all this stuff when angels were created? I mean, does it really matter? Well, to be perfectly honest, it probably doesn't have a lot to do with our salvation but they are ministers for the heirs of salvation. So when we're wondering about these things, it, we, can, we can tie them in. So if they're, if they're ministers to the heirs of salvation, certainly the devil and his angels are people, or I shouldn't say people, but beings that are definitely trying to get us off track and, and try to get us into a place where we're not saved and try to uh, keep people from coming to the Lord. And in my own personal experience, uh, my, my biggest experience with angels, of course, is what it says in the Word of God. The other, my other experience is what I've heard people say. I've, I've read several books and, uh, you know, a lot of different sources. I've heard personal testimonies. 
uh, from even many of you here, especially the leadership here in Fresh Fire. But you know, personally, I, I, as far as I know, I've never seen one of these beings. I do believe in them, of course. But uh, the question that Brother Jerry asked is, uh, are angels still falling today? And to that, just to give a, a quick answer is, I don't think so. And I'll, I'll show you why I think that in a, in a few minutes. But exactly when did they fall? We know kind of why they fell. But I, I just want to kind of throw a, a little bit of a thought experiment out there. You know, if um, according to the book of Revelation, that uh, Jesus or the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth, and according to Galatians chapter 4, he was born in the fullness of time, and according to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, I think it was, uh, we see now at the end of the world, salvation has come exactly when does salvation come? We know that the name of Jesus means the salvation of the Lord. So did salvation come at the beginning? Did it, does, is, does it come at the end? Or did it come 2,000 years ago? Well, the truth is, is it's really all three. And it's, it's neither. You know, when we see in the book of Revelation, he was and is and is to come. It's really an eternal matter. Salvation is outside of the realm of time and space. So can we really pinpoint it? Yeah, we can pinpoint it within time. He came 2,000 years ago. And we all know that. We don't need anybody to tell us that. But when the Bible throws these ideas out at us that he was actually slain from the foundation of the earth, we know it was his plan from the beginning. That's the reason why, and I hope, again, I hope I'm not stepping on any toes here. That's the reason why I don't really like dispensational uh, teaching or, or, or thinking according to the word because it seems too much like God had a plan A and then he had a plan B and then he had a plan C and then, then okay, that's not working, so let's try the law. Okay, that, that didn't work, so I guess we'll just, try to, we'll just try to give them grace. Maybe they'll get saved by grace, you know. And I just don't see God having backup plans. He knows who he is. He knows what he's about. Sorry, did I? Uh... Okay. Um, so you're okay, brother. We're just having some issues tonight with uh, some mics being unmuted. So oh, okay. We're, uh, we're doing our best just to, to cover here. So just keep rolling. No, no problem at all, bro. All right. So anyway, uh, long you know me. Uh, I, I have to I have to go around the merry-go-round like fifty times before I get to my point. But um, maybe maybe these little mic problems are just a reminder. Hey, uh, get get to it, pal. You know. Um, so, I mean, how do we bring that idea of the eternal God with a, with a steady and purposeful plan? How do we bring that into the idea of other eternal beings or beings that kind of dwell in that space? Well, we, we have the, uh, the, the, the verse in, uh, in Luke. We all know that one, Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Uh, probably most of us don't even have to turn to that one. We, we know what that one is. Um, just if for, for those of you who don't know what this is about, Jesus had sent his apostles out, his disciples out two by two one time, and then later that was in a summertime region. Later down in the fall, uh, before the wintertime in that particular year, he sent out a group of 70, again in twos, so I guess presumably 35 groups of two. But this first time he sent them out, they came back and they said, oh, praise God, even the devils are subject to us. And... Um, 
verse 17 of Luke chapter 10, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, the reason why I read all those verses is because these kind of things, you, you know me, I'm quirky, and, and these things start charging my brain a little bit, and I start wondering, okay, all right, all right, all right. So he says in past tense, after a bunch of humans that are just weak, fleshly beings, um, these guys didn't even have the Holy Ghost yet. Uh, we don't even know their names by and large. We just know they're the 70. And, uh, but they were important enough to Jesus in those days that he handpicked these 70, uh, presumably men, and sent them out to take authority over over spirits, and even authority over physical flesh, if you really think about it, because when you start commanding someone to be healed and their body shapes up, you're literally given power over, over flesh and over spirits. And it's, it's amazing when you think about it. these guys didn't even yet have the Holy Ghost, and he ordained them. I, 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 uh, I personally believe he would have laid his hands on, on these men, or at the very least, had his apostles lay their hands on these men uh, before he sent them out and authorized them to do this work. But it's absolutely just mind-boggling because he says in verse 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So we can chalk that up to say, well, he, he beheld him from the beginning, you know, when Satan fell originally. Because we know that by the time we see Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we know that the, the serpent there in Hebrew, the Nahash, uh, was asking her questions. And we do believe that was uh, the devil himself. At least I do. But in verse 19, he says, Behold, I give unto you, and that's present tense, of course, in the Greek. They don't really have a present tense so much. But anyway, we won't get into a Greek language right now. Ugh. Anyway, behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. He, he uses specifically that word serpent, and he adds to it scorpion. And, and I like that idea because a serpent strikes with his mouth and a scorpion strikes with his head. So heads or tails, we have power over it. Amen? Anyway, so, <laughs> so he gives us power over serpents and over scorpions. Uh, and we see in the book of Revelation... There were certain kind of demonic beings that had power uh, in their tails to sting people. And so, you know, anyway, he's giving us right now in present mode, wherever we are, he's giving us power in our timeline, in our stretched out uh, dimensions uh, through, through this existence. He gives us right now power of the devil. But the devil seems to live in a different kind of realm. Anyway... He says, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Then he goes into this idea, but I don't really want you to get so happy that you have power over devils. I want you to be more happy that your names are already recorded in heaven and eternal place. So he, he 
kind of focuses on this negative uh, eternal realm stuff as far as the devil falling. And where did he fall from? Well, we know that out of Revelation chapter 12. The dragon scooped a third of the stars of heaven, and they, they came down to the earth. And, and just to kind of uh, make that point very clear, um, and, and we're, we're looking at Revelation chapter uh, 12 here. Uh, this, this, is, this is hard to, you know, anything in the book of Revelation is really hard to nail down. Uh, wh where is this? What is this? How is this? Um, well, I think it it's, says it best in chapter 13, 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding <laughs> uh, figure it out. So uh, ask the Lord for some wisdom and uh, some understanding. But uh, earlier in chapter 12, it says in verse 4, and his tail talking about that dragon that appeared in heaven. His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for devour her child as soon as it was born. Over in verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels, it very specifically says now, instead of stars, it says, and his angels were cast out with him. So we we kind of we all just kind of assume that that would have had to have happened way at the beginning of our timeline. So why, why am I making such a big deal about this? Because in the book of Revelation, we see him cast down. We see in the book of Genesis that he's already in the garden. We see Jesus 2,000 years ago say, I saw him fall. So again, the question is exactly when did he fall? Early, late, or in the middle? It's kind of like all three and neither. Uh, because it's a, it's an eternal type idea. The salvation of God is like an uh, eternal type thing. So the thing that causes us to need to be saved, it, it really resides in the same realm, even though it's a negative thing. So back in Luke chapter 10, he's telling us, your names are now written in heaven because you have now in this space and time authority over an eternal being. And I also am going to give you power over things now, and I'm going to give you power over eternal things. And it, to me, this this is just just absolutely astounding, uh, the kind of trust and faith God puts in us. And I, I know that it was a real simple question. It could have taken me two minutes to answer. But it, it, it the, these kind of questions lead me into all these thoughts all over again. And we, we, we come up with these ideas of, Okay, then what, what exactly are fallen angels? What, what's the difference between an evil spirit and an unclean spirit? Because they seem to be interchangeable. What's the difference between the devil that tempted De uh, Jesus in the wilderness and a devil that was possessing a man? Uh, is there a difference between devils that possess people and territorial spirits? Uh, is there a difference between a cherub and a seraph? Is there a, a you know, these are all questions that I'm sure some of us have had and the Bible, unfortunately, is is not super super clear about it. Um, but there's also the, the the weird, wild stuff in Genesis chapter six that starts talking about giants in in the English, but in the Hebrew, it's the nephal or the nephilim, and that word means the fallen ones. So, okay, so who are these fallen ones? And then you can add that, and if you're taking notes. Check out Psalm 82 sometime, or or maybe uh, 
maybe check out um, passages like, uh, where is it? Well, Job again. Job chapters 1 and 2 where Jesus has those counsels. How about um, um, uh, 2 Kings, I think I got it in my notes somewhere. 2 Kings chapter 22 when Micaiah the prophet uh, prophesying for King Ahab in the presence of Je King Jehoshaphat when he was talking about how he saw this council in heaven. Now, who are these guys? Who's this council in heaven? And why is God conferring with them? And why does it say in the book of Job that he gave them up to folly? And why? Basically, all I'm trying to say is it, it brings up like a million questions. Are there different ranks? Are there, when we do believe there are, are there different species? Well, to get right down to the question itself, are angels still falling today? Uh, we can look at 2 Peter chapter 2. It gives us some interesting clues. And when I say interesting, I'm always saying it's interesting to me. I hope it's also interesting to you. So um, some of you might be scratching your head saying, that's not very interesting. I, I, I don't know. But um, uh, anyway, it, so when I say interesting, I'm, I'm just being selfish here. It's interesting to me. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, um, Peter's talking about some false prophets. He's talking about people that are touching the spiritual realm, illegally, if you will. And that's really what sorcerers and purveyors of witchcraft and tarot card readers and palm readers and crystal ball gazers and astrologers and necromancers and whatever else you have out there, that's really what these guys are doing. Um, I had a very close a relative tell me years ago uh, that um, he had uh, taken certain kinds of psychedelic drugs, and he says... He told me, he goes, it was really weird because I felt like I was moving into the spirit realm on these drugs. He goes, but at the same time, I knew it was not right. I was not supposed to be there. And uh, my dad would always call that illegal. He's like, yes, these people, these these gurus and these, you know, these, these people that can meditate and astrally project and all this stuff, they... I believe these people can really do it, but it shouldn't it shouldn't intrigue us too much because this is illegal spirit activity. And besides that, we have better power than they do by the spirit of the living God. You know, if, if, if God can pick a guy up after baptizing a eunuch and just pop him over into another place, then that's better than what they can do. If God can can heal your body. Uh, but not just your body. He can heal your wounds of your heart and your mind and your spirit. If he can put a marriage back together, if he can heal finances that were hopelessly... My goodness, that is more power than the devil can, can give you. The devil can throw a lot of money at you, but he can't teach you how to spend it, apparently. Uh, the, the devil can throw a lot of fame at you, but he cannot teach you how to handle it so that sooner or uh, later you're going to go nuts and like some of these people that gained fame too quickly, they ended up taking their own lives because they couldn't handle the pressure. you know. But God can bless you in a way that it really, really blesses you. So the, the power of the Holy Ghost, it may take more discipline, and it may take more time and dedication and prayer and fasting and, and reading the Word and being, being dedicated under the work of God, but 
the power that we enjoy through the Spirit is, is far, far more reaching than any power that the devil can give us. And uh, so we're talking in, in Second Peter about these false prophets. But there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily or privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And he goes into verse 4 saying some, some things that may not be readily understood. It says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved in a judgment, and spared not the old world, and he goes on to finish his thought. In other words, he's not going to just let evil false prophets get away with it if he did this to these high-ranking angelic beings. So we know just by default, because we know there's evil spirits in the world, we know that there are high-ranking devils. This, this is what we're doing when we, when we go into certain regions. We're, we're tearing these things down, and, and, and Dean can talk to us a lot more about those things than I could, but uh, God has privileged me to do a little bit of that work. Um, even just last Saturday, we, uh, we, we found this place up in Worcester that we, we felt just uh, the, the, the Spirit of God just kind of rushing right down upon us and spreading out through the whole city, and it was pretty awesome, but we also saw the, the demons getting pushed back, you know, and so God has allowed us to see these wonderful works and, and, and everything we saw in Ontario this weekend. My goodness, if demons weren't getting squashed, I don't know what was happening. So, you know, we see that this power is going out into the world. We, we see new ministries opening up because devils are getting pushed back. And um, but no, so he's telling us that he didn't spare these angels that sinned, but he cast them down into hell. Uh, which is the abode of the dead, and not the lake of fire. Sometimes we confuse that. But the abode of the dead. And, in, of course, in, in Greek, uh, it's, it's not even the word Hades. It's the word Tartarus, which comes uh, that, we, that we can come out of Greek mythology. And I, sorry to have to talk about Greek mythology, but uh, sometimes in order to understand some of these words that these guys used, uh, we, we, uh, we kind of have to go to a, an ancient Greek source to find these things out. And uh, this word Tartarus is the Greek way of saying the, the the absolute lowest of the low, the deepest pit, which is really kind of the, it's, it's maybe a little different than the abyss, but it's just absolutely the lowest, darkest pit of, of what we would call the realm of the dead, Hades being the god of the dead, his realm. And so Peter, interestingly enough, uses a Greek mythological idea to describe what is happening to some of these beings. And the, the other thing, and, and, and believe me, I, I don't believe in other gods. I really don't. Uh, I don't believe in the Greek gods. I don't believe in any pantheon of pagan gods. Um, but I do believe these stories came from distortions of truth. I, I believe they all probably... Uh, stemmed back before the flood and at the dispersion of the languages 
They got all twisted up into weird mythologies, probably propagated by guys like Nimrod and, and people like this. So when these things are happening, we see stories in Greek and Roman and even some of the other mythologies like Egyptian and whatnot. We see people, we see high-ranking, if it's Greek mythology, we see these titans, which were the gods before the Olympians. Uh, these were the primal forces of the universe that the Olympian gods like Zeus and Athena and Apollo and all those guys, uh, Zeus actually kind of conquered all these ancient titans and he bound them in chains of darkness in Tartarus. And so any, and, and I think I might have said this before, but if you're ever thinking about taking a secular Bible college uh, course, don't do it. Don't do it. If those people don't have the Holy Ghost, don't listen to them about the Bible. It will not do you any good. All they're going to do is try to prove to you how the Bible is not true. The Bible is the Word of God. It's the living Word of God. It is true. So I might have said that before. I just I just want to... I, I get hot under the collar when it comes to those things because the devil's out there trying to destroy our kids' minds uh, with all the corruption and foolishness. I, I'm not saying... I'm not preaching against college. I'm just saying, if you do send your children to college, make sure they don't take any kind of religious studies at those colleges. If they want to learn engineering, or if they want to learn, you know, something else, computer science, whatever, yeah, fine, but don't let them take religious studies. Because those guys are there for one purpose, to twist the minds of people into not believing the Word of God. So... Evil men have gotten in and said, well, Peter is simply borrowing Greek mythology to explain uh, Judaistic uh, theology. And that's not true. That's not true at all. He happens to be speaking, or at least it's being written here in the Greek language, so he's using contemporary language to understand. Somewhere at the beginning, there were high-ranking beings that God himself said, I'm going to wrap you up in chains of darkness, and I'm just going to put you away until the time of the end. We see the same idea outlined in the book of Jude, verse number 6. It says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. That word habitation in the Greek is um, akaturion. And uh, it uh, it's only mentioned one other time in the New Testament, and the other time, I think it was in 2 Corinthians, and it's talking about our glorified bodies. So what we believe that means is these angelic beings had glorified bodies, but they lost their first estate, and they, they fell into demonic forms. Um, and, you know, a story my dad used to tell years and years ago, the Lord actually allowed him to see with his natural eye a demonic form, and it was a grotesque, looking thing that had like a serpent's body but it had a weird distorted almost like a crocodile's head with extremely huge eyes and, and i'm not here i i hope i'm not scaring the kids with this stuff but uh, i'm not here to just get us fascinated in demonic stuff but what jude is saying is they left their first habitation he had served in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day so what we can learn a little bit about these guys is obviously the devil himself is roaming the earth. And he's got a lot of minions 
roaming the earth, messing with people. And there's also territorial spirits. Now, how do they organize themselves? The Bible doesn't really say. We do have some hints out of Ephesians chapter 6 when it talks about the principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and rulers of darkness, uh, things like this. But it also uses that idea of high places or heavenly places. So they're on the earth as he is the prince of the power of the air and as he is the god of this world. But we also have spirits in heavenly places. So we're having to clear out things on the earth and we're even having to clear out the heavens. And and I think that's uh, that's the reason why the Lord sends such intense angel help to us is because they're clearing out the heavens while we're clearing out the earth. And uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're working together. They're working with us. Uh, and it, it seems like the last few weeks, the Lord has been bringing in, again, Brother and Sister Good can talk a lot more about this than I can, and Brother Jared and Brother Kyle and, and uh, some of you other guys. But uh, I, feel, I feel like I'm the, I'm the guy at the, at the end of the line when it comes to this stuff. But even I can feel... There is absolutely increased angel activity these last several weeks because of the season that we're in. And, and these angels are here to serve with us and to help us to do these things. So if, if I can be any encouragement, and I know I took a long time. to I took, I'm looking at my recording. I'm into 40 minutes here uh, j- just talking about this question. But um, this is not something we need to worry about. There are territorial spirits. We have the authority to take them down when God tells us to. Praise God. We can go in, and we are going in, and we are taking them down. Praise God. You know, I used to hear my dad say years and years and years ago, he used to say, I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of the devil. And if I ever knew anybody, you know, that wasn't afraid of the devil, he he was the guy. You know, and I've I've been privileged to know many, many bold men in the spirit. Uh, Some of you right on this page right here that are not afraid of the devil. You guys are not afraid of the devil. And it's a privilege and an honor to stand and serve with you, you men and women of God. And uh, But I can remember one of the first people I'd ever heard in my life say that was my own father. He said, I'm not afraid of the devil. And, and, and he wasn't. He wasn't. He, he just, in, in a sense, walked right up to the devil and say, buzz off, jerk. And, and you would see those devils just leave. And it was absolutely amazing because here I was, this teenager that was a, uh, uh, scared of my own shadow and afraid of a dark room. And, uh, you know, my mother's side of uh, the fa- my family, uh, they were often plagued with many, many, many fears and uh, that have been had to overcome over and over and over. And I've got some of that stuff in my own life. And so I'm listening to my dad say, I'm not afraid of the devil. And I'm like, how are you not afraid of the devil? He's this big, bad, powerful dude. And after all these years, it might have taken me 48 years to get here, but finally, I'm saying, you know, there's no reason to be afraid of the devil. God has given us awesome power in the heavenlies. He's given us awesome power in the earth. He's given us power to lay our hands on someone and see their body transform from a sick body to a well body. But I think that's the lowest end of it. He's given us power to lay our hands on people and see a twisted mind go straight. And a a broken heart, the pieces come back together. And a broken spirit get filled up with the power of the Holy Ghost. Now that 
is awesome power right there. Praise God. And no matter what the devil can do, I'm still intrigued with that idea. Whatever he can do, there is an angel that can do the opposite. But there's a God who orchestrates the whole thing, and he uses you and I to do it. And, and uh, well, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, I, I think I'm going to stop talking about this stuff. Uh, I'll say it one more time. That, that's not an area that I, uh, I, I even really feel extremely comfortable with. But if I can be any encouragement at all in these last and evil days, praise God, uh, then I hope I can. But I want to move into an area of stu- study that uh, I think may, may also be very important to our season. It's something the Lord keeps just bringing to my spirit and I, I, I have let it out in little snippets here and there uh, to individuals, uh, to the church here in Cumberland, even a little bit on Fresh Fire, uh, uh, Zoom meetings from time to time. It's just some things and some little tidbits the Lord has has dropped in my spirit over the years. And um, I'm not sure how much we'll get into this tonight. Uh, we're just going to try to be led by the Spirit. But I, uh, I want to, at least for a little while tonight, talk about um, seven types of praise. And um, maybe one of these days, uh, if the Lord just opens the door, we can compare that with seven types of prayer and uh, things like that. Well, I don't know. We, we won't get into that tonight. But now, th- this seven types of praise is, is certainly not original with me. The first time I ever heard this concept I was probably about 16 years old, so I just told you I was 48, so you can do the math. This is, this is quite a few years ago now. I, I heard this concept, uh, seven types of praise, and uh, since a teenager first hearing that, I've always been intrigued. Why, I mean, praising God is praising God. Hey, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Um, by, by, a, by a raise of hands, anybody on here know how to praise God? Okay, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Okay, just about everybody's raising your hand. So it's like, well, why would we need to be taught about praise? Well, I grew up in a, as, as I think all of you know now, I grew up in a Pentecostal church down south, and we were hand raisers, and we were tongue talkers, and we were baptized in the name of Jesus. Praise God for all that. And, uh, and we praised God. And uh, we knew how to praise God. Uh, this, is a, this is what we did when we praised God. We got into church, and uh, we would chat and talk and joke around until the pastor stepped up to the pulpit. And, and I, I wouldn't because uh, I was just a little kid, and I wasn't allowed to really do all that much talking. Uh, but, you know, the adults would uh, chit-chat and yimmer-yammer all the way until the pastor got into the pulpit, and then every, everybody goes silent. And uh, Pastor uh, Don Johnson would always say, let's stand. Uh, that, that was, uh, and he wouldn't say, all rise. But he, he would, he, his expression was always, let's stand. Everybody would stand. Let's praise the Lord. So, you know, some people might raise their hands. Some people might praise out loud. Some people might, might not. And that lasted for about 30 seconds. And then the song leader would come up. And then, now, understand, we had an awesome church. We had about a 600-member church. Um, on Sunday nights, you didn't know what was going to happen on a Sunday night at Gray Road. Uh, and that, that was the name of the church, Gray Road Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 
my goodness, uh, people, I, I've seen people run on the back of pews. You know, I've seen, I've seen two people run pell-mell at each other, and you think that they were going to collide, and somehow they just slip right past each other. I've seen people twirl in the spirit. I mean, I've seen bobby pins fly at deadly speeds. You know, I, I've seen people rolling around on the ground just like the old holy rollers did. You know, I, I've seen people scream and shout blood-curdling screams and all kinds of crazy stuff. But when it came to the beginning of the service, it was usually like, a praise Lord, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. The song would start. So, you know, Brother Reveille, a good old Brother Reveille, um, he, uh, he actually, unfortunately just passed away last year. Uh, and, uh, but good old brother Reverly was a song leader and he'd get up there. And one of his favorite songs was love lifted me, love lifted me when not, well, I can't even remember the song anyway. Um, but that was his favorite song. In fact, it, uh, in the old Pentecostal hymnal, it was page 42. I still remember the page number. I was just a little kid. We turned to that song so many times. I still remember the page number. And uh, he loved Love Lifted Me. And so he would sing Love Lifted Me for a few rounds. And after he was done, a few hands would roll up. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then the hands would go back down in about 15 seconds. And so we knew, we knew how to praise God. Um. As you probably all can tell, I'm, I'm laying the sarcasm on a little heavy, uh, but we thought we knew how to praise God. And um, so when I heard there were different kinds of praise, it really intrigued me. Well, praising God is raising your hands and uh, saying, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I love you, Lord. Uh, and if you can get it just right, you can get a running loop. Thank God, hallelujah, praise God, merciful Jesus, hallelujah, thank God, praise. You know, we can we can really get into a, a, a nice little pattern if we do it just right. But uh, <laughs> uh, I'm laughing about it because one of my one of my pet peeves as a pastor is when I'll tell the church, "Come on, church, let's seek God, let's seek the face of God." And I hear some people going, oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I love you, Lord. Thank and it's just like, you're not seeking God. You're just doing vain repetition. I think Jesus said something about that in Matthew chapter 6. And, um, and it's kind of a pet peeve of mine because we're not really seeking God. We're just running to our little comfort zones and we, because really we think we know what we're doing. But to me, I, I always called that vending machine Christianity or vending machine praise. You, you go, you put your coins in the slot, you punch your numbers, and you get your prize. Uh, your chips, your cookies, your soda, whatever it is you like. And we're in full control. Okay, let me see. How are we going to split this up today? Maybe I'll say five thank you, Jesuses, just to get those in there. And maybe I'll say uh, 15 praise you, Jesuses. And uh, I don't want God to get jealous, so I'll say praise God too. You know, and uh, <laughs> I know, I, I'm being silly, folks. I'm being silly. But, uh, you know, I know no one really does that. I know no one really consciously uses their brain 
to say, this is what I'm going to do, but we so easily fall into a form. Now, now, how about this one? How about this one when we get to church and uh, the worship leader or the pastor or, or someone will get up there and say, hey, folks, let's, let's praise the Lord. And uh, I know you, you can't probably see my whole body, but um, I, I call this the, the, the Pentecostal shuffle. You know, where people are just kind of kind of shaking their hands at half-mast. You, you know, kind of like the half-mast praise. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, hey, listen, I've been around for a long time, folks. I've probably seen, if not everything, close to it. Close to it. I've seen every kind of form of uh, insincere praise. <laughs> but I've also seen a lot of good stuff, too. So uh, I'm not trying to make you think my, my childhood was all bad. But, you know, they, they would do kind of like the half-mast hand-raised. They would kind of shuffle around a little bit to, to make people looking at them think that they're, you know, spiritual or whatever. And, and um, <laughs> to, you know, we, we get into these forms. We're not trying to, but we're, we're trying to throw our coins in the slot. We're, we're trying to push our buttons. And, and really what we're doing is we're pushing God's buttons in, in the bad way. And uh, he's saying, come on! I want you to I want you to activate. I want you to touch me. I want you to get into my throne room and and this is really the purpose. This is really the purpose. Um it, we, we can look at John 3 5. We all know, well, if you don't, John 3 5, you know, unless you were born of the water and of the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh I, I'm reminded we were talking about this earlier today with, with a couple of brothers. You know, we were talking about that rich young ruler. He asked Jesus, good master, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? He says, first of all, don't call me good. There's none good but God. But if you would enter into life, and this is how Jesus answers him. If you would enter in, this is what you got to do. Okay? And he starts off uh, uh, doing the things he was doing there, uh, saying all the rest of what he was saying there in that passage. So, you know, I'm also reminded of uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. It says, you know, well, let me, in case I misquote it, let me just look at it. I happen to be at that end of the Bible anyway. Uh, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So, you know, we, we see in chapter 1 of Revelation that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I believe the way he was in the Spirit was he was out there praising God in a salt mine as an old man, doing stuff that an old man should not have to be doing, but because he was being persecuted for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was out there, and God was giving him supernatural strength to endure. And on the Lord's day, I believe he's out there praising God, and he gets into the Spirit in a salt mine. And I think that's really how it goes. I mean, I'm sure we've all heard the progression of scriptures. Uh, again, I first heard this many, many years ago. Uh, by a man named Dr. Gerald Jeffers. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, the the Lord inhabits the praises of Israel. And we often quote that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And that's fine. So when we start praising God, the Lord comes in and his presence fills 
our life or he'll fill the church or he'll fill our home or wherever it is we're praising God. There's another scripture that says, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. There's another scripture that says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And then there's another scripture uh, that, that, that Paul tells us in Philippians 3, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So how do we get strength from the Lord? Well, we get strength from the Lord by being filled up with the joy of the Lord. How do we get the joy of the Lord? By being in the presence of the Lord. How do we get into the presence of the Lord? By praising the Lord. So if you want to get to the place where you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you, we are often reminded, and rightfully so, about those passages in the book of Mark where it says, when you pray, believe that you receive what you have for, you know, in another, another passage where Jesus says, nothing shall be impossible to them that believe. So faith is a big one. We can't discount faith. When, when we're praying, we're believing. But I'll tell you right there, here, too, we also know how faith is, is increased. First of all, we have a measure of faith according to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Every man's been given a measure of faith. We also know we've been saved by grace through faith. We also know that we are justified by faith, you know. Uh, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, we also know that we're saved from faith to faith. That's Romans chapter 1, verse, I think, 17. Uh, I'm not quoting you exactly. I know I'm spitting out a lot of stuff at you. It's not in my notes, so uh, I'm not turning there. But um, we, we have a lot of scriptures about faith. But how does faith come in the first place? Well, we know Romans, again, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So in other words, if your dad, if your parent, when you were a child, told you something, you tended to believe it because they were your parents. So you believed it because you heard it. It didn't have to necessarily be the truth. It's just you believed it because you trusted in your parents to tell you the truth. And uh, whatever they told you, you believed it. Now, how do we begin to hear godly faith and, and faith based on truth? Well, that's by the Word of God. So our ears begin to open up, according to the Word, by the Word of God. And then when we hear the Word of God, we begin to have faith in the Word of God. Now, the book of Jude, once again, verse 20 says, uh, Dearly beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So we have the measure of faith given to us by God. We can um, increase faith by hearing the Word of God. We can build ourselves up in faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. So there, there's all kinds of levels uh, to faith. I mean, there's the fruit of faith. There's the gift of faith. You know, there, there's the, the measure of faith. There's the faith that will save you. There's justification. by. There's all kinds of levels of faith. But besides Besides that, what we know is when we hear God say, praise me, and we trust what he's saying, then we begin to praise him. What it does is it will, in the course uh, of, of, of going through the process, and it, it only has to take a minute or less. It could take five seconds, really. If, 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 you, if you really know how to suck into that vein and you really kind of dial it in, and the more you do it, the quicker it happens. You know, you can, you can be in the throne room at 
a second's notice. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to brag here or anything like that, and I'm not trying to vaunt myself, but by the time I was about 16 years old, uh, I had had the Holy Ghost already about uh, nine years, well, about nine years at that point. And, uh, but it took me about nine years from a child receiving the Holy Spirit to a teenager. One day when I was about 16, I was praying in tongues, and I realized, hold on a second, I can talk in tongues anytime I want. I was taught, unfortunately, by default, that it's something you had to work yourself up to. You had to kind of get into this ecstatic praise mode in order to even be able to, to, to jabber even a little bit in tongues. But I realized I didn't even have to even hardly feel spiritual, and I could just begin to speak in tongues. It's, it's the same way with getting into the throne room of grace. You know, we the, according to the book of Hebrews, that veil of his flesh was rent making access into the very throne room of God. So John is ushered right into the throne room of God. We see Isaiah was brought right into the throne room of God. We see that the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle and also in the temple, that most holy place was a representation of the throne of God. Only the high priest could go in there once a year. Uh, but later, the veil of his flesh was rent. That was giving us all access. So we see also in the book of Hebrews, boldly come before the throne of grace. We can all get there. So the Lord is inviting every one of us in. And I've learned how do you get there the quickest? You get there in praise. And I'm going to throw an idea out at you that, that it may be distasteful for some of you, but it's something I kind of learned years ago. Um, from my perspective, God seems to have different moods. Um, I know Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, the, the book of Isaiah says, I am the Lord, and I don't change. Okay? He doesn't change. So, is God moody? Not really. Does God have emotions, though? Yes, he does. Uh, we know God has emotions because we see him get angry. We see him get happy. We see him get sorrowful. We, and we're not even just talking about Jesus we're talking about the spirit of the living God displays at times emotions. So emotions are kind of up and down. So whoever God is and the character of who God is, that does not change. And because he lives in a timeless place, in a place beyond our dimensional thinking, we can't really understand how he is. So when he plays out in time, in our situations, it seems like God is in a different mood from day to day. And uh, maybe maybe if you haven't found that one out yet, maybe you will one of these days because there's some days I go into prayer and when I meet the Lord in prayer, uh, it's more of a very deep reverence. And I know I must approach him almost on tippy toes. You know, and I it's it's a reverential thing where... All you really can do is just go down on your face before God. And then there's other times where it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like a, a almost angry, righteous indignation. And the Lord just puts that, that you know, that, that, you know, that, that, uh, that um, string of 50 caliber, 
you know, bullets across your chest, you know, in an X pattern. And he, he slaps that big gun in your hands and says, okay, start blowing them away, son. And, and you just, you know, you know, and there's other days where it's very light and it's joyous. You go in there and you almost get drunk in the spirit in five minutes and you, you're just praising God and it's, it, you're almost joking around with God. Can you joke around with God? Yeah, you can. You really can. Now, it, it's always going to be with reverence. But yes, the Lord, I find, has a very good sense of humor. You know, uh, none of us would have sense of humor if God didn't have sense of humor himself because we're creating his image. So there's times where it's actually light and I can be in the spirit and even just kind of laugh with the Lord. And other times I'm, I'm weeping and other times I'm on my face and other times I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm strapping on. Arr! You know, but it's like, it's like a different mood, if you will. And it wasn't my mood. It, you know, I didn't come in there with a particular attitude necessarily, or the attitude I came in there with had to quickly get pushed aside in order to do what God wanted to do that morning when he's talking to me. So um, we're going to find that there are different kinds of prayer, and maybe we'll talk about that um, sometime, I don't know, but... Well, what I've also found is there's different kinds of praise, and they're all very necessary. Now, the, the material I'm going to uh, lay out for you is, is not original with me, but it is all found in the Bible. And some of you might have heard this study before. It's, it's not a new study. It's been around for a long time. The, in fact, the first time I heard it, like I said before, was, again, when I was about 16 years old. The Lord was teaching me a lot of things back in those days. And uh, why don't we turn over to Psalm 100. I have purposely stuck mostly in the Psalms. These words are all throughout the New Testament. They're going to be seven Hebrew words. So uh, I hope you don't mind a little bit of Hebrew education tonight. We won't go too deep. We won't go too deep, okay? But um, there are. I'm going to present you with seven Hebrew words. And... Um, that we're going to outline seven different kinds of, of praise. And I'm going to start off with Psalm 100. I'm reading this out of um, the King James. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise, be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Now, I'm sure probably, if not all of us, almost all of us have definitely read this psalm before. There's probably several of us here that have memorized this psalm in one translation or another. It's a short one, only five verses you know, back in back in my childhood, uh, memorization of Scripture was a real big thing. And so uh, I grew up with the King James, so unfortunately that's where all my memorization work was done. Uh, but uh, we, we did a lot of memorization. This was definitely one of the Psalms that we uh, memorized along with many, many other ones. Psalms were a popular thing to memorize. And we see in that verse 4, uh, very, very popular, we sing the song, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and... Uh, uh, your heart. Anyway, uh, we, you know, we sing the song. We love it. it. It gets us going in the spirit. It gets our feet tapping, you know, 
And, um, but in this one verse alone, we're seeing uh, four different praise words in, in this uh, verse alone. Enter his gates with thanksgiving is one of them. Into his courts with praise is another one of these words. Be thankful unto him is another one, the word thankful. And bless his name is a fourth one. And with the seven words that I'm going to lay out for you in the next few minutes, we can see four of them in this one alone. And once we kind of outline what these words mean, or maybe in a larger meaning, uh, maybe we'll come across, we'll come out of this lesson with even a better understanding of what Psalm 100 verse 4 is saying to us. And hopefully it's going to be a source of strength, encouragement. It's going to be access beyond the veil into the throne room of grace uh, easier than you've ever seen before. Because I think in this season that we're in, in these times that we're in, we are going to need to have access to the throne quicker and easier than ever in our life. And let me just start by an encouragement. This can happen for you. If you feel like you struggle to speak in tongues, or if you feel like you struggle to pray in the morning, or if you feel like you struggle to stay awake when you're reading your Bible, welcome to the human race. You don't stop being human just because you get the Holy Ghost. But I will say this, the more you give yourself to these things, it really does, I don't know if it ever gets easier, but the access gets wider. You know, um, if you're working with electricity, from what I understand, the larger the cables, the better the flow. You know, you can get more power through a big cable than you can through a small cable. And you, you can get more water through a big water pipe than you can through a small water pipe and, you know, on and on and so forth. So it's like your, your, your conduit gets larger. You know, you're still going to have to crucify the flesh. You're still going to have to lay your humanity upon the altar. You're still going to have to do that every morning. You're still going to have to get in there and trim those wicks and fill that candelabra back up with pure oil. You're still going to have to do all that, but your conduit gets bigger, you know, as you add to, uh, you know, day after day after day. And um, for lack of a better word, it does get easier to just jump right into the throne room. That, and that, that if, if we can do anything here tonight and just encourage you in that one point, I think we've done our job. But uh, again, we, we see here, um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to look uh, that passage up. Anyway, uh, just so I'll have um, a reference for it. Anyway, so we're seeing in this one particular place, enter into his gates. Now, uh, back at uh, Fresh Fire Camp 2020, uh, we had the privilege and honor of teaching for a little while on the tabernacle. And some of you were there, uh, obviously some of you were not. And um, believe me, and I'm not bragging when I say this, if, if I was given 16 hours, I don't think I could have finished teaching on the tabernacle. And it's not because I have such vast knowledge of the word, that, that's not even it. It's because the subject itself is so vast. And it's just never ending. Every time you look at it, there's newer and newer things to learn because it's a representation first of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the express image of the Almighty God, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And God is limitless. He has no end. And so when you begin to look at some of his earthly representations 
of himself. It just, there's always new truths to learn. So if I was somehow physically able to be connected to the spirit for 16 hours, I think I could have kept talking and not really repeated myself too much. And I, I really think when it comes to the subject of the tabernacle, really any of us can can, can really uh, enjoy that level of depth. But when we when we read a passage like this, we know that King, uh, well, we don't know if it's King David because it doesn't say it's not accredited to King David. But the psalmist here is is most definitely talking about the gate that goes into the the court into the the grounds of the tabernacle, and we we know that because he's saying he's using words like gate and courts. So he's not even talking about moving into the door of the Spirit yet. He's just saying when you even get into the court, even when you get into the place where you have to lay yourself down on the altar, where you have to take your humanity and just lay that wood down on the brazen altar so it can get burnt up. When you have to take your filthy carcass over to that brazen laver that was made out of the looking glasses of the women of Israel, and you have to look into that perfect law of liberty and continue therein, according to the book of James, you know, chapter 1. When, when, when you're looking at a thing and you're looking at all the specks and all the blood and all the soot and all the ripped uh, clothes and what, well, all the little imperfections, you know, that you can see in yourself, and you start washing at that fountain, even, even before you get to that stuff, he's saying, I want you to go in with rejoicing and praise. I, in fact, I want you to go in with four different kinds. And if you can go into four different kinds, you can understand uh, this, this um, four, uh, you know, a lot of times we, we, we look at the dual nature of Jesus, all God, all man. But if we, if we just lay out the, the gospels, we can see him as king, as servant, as righteous man, and as the Lord from heaven. Uh, and we, and that gate was made up of those four colors, you know, that symbolize those things. The, the color purple stands for his majesty, the fact that he is a king. The, the color red stands for the fact that he is a suffering servant and he shed his blood for us. The, the color white uh, stood, just like in the book of Revelation, it says that white is, uh, symbolizes the righteousness of the saints. That color white lets us know that he was a righteous human. And the color blue signifies the color of the heavens and that he was the Lord of heavens. He was the living God that came down from heaven. So when we go through that gate, we're, we're acknowledging Jesus Christ as our king, the one who died for us, who we emulate because he said, take up your cross and follow me. The one who we emulate in righteousness because he was tempted in all points like as we yet without sin. And the Lord of heaven, who we also emulate, because I know I'm going to throw a word out that, that some of you may not like. John was a mystic. He saw the mystical God. He, he saw the, the spiritual God. He saw how the Lord came and fulfilled prophecy in a high-level spiritual way. And uh, that Lord from the heaven, we can emulate that by moving in to the Spirit. And we have to acknowledge Jesus in those ways, even as we're going into the court, even before we get to our repentance. He said, well, how can you do that? I don't know. I, I don't think we always have to do it so consciously. We just 
it, it's kind of a thing that we have to learn in our spirits. But sometimes before we can really learn in our spirit, we kind of have to get it straight up here a little bit. And um, it's kind of like what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father Prayer in Matthew 6 and also in the book of Luke. Uh, we see our Father who art in heaven. You know, again, we're acknowledging the Spirit, our God who is in heaven. Hallowed or hallowed, reverend is your name. It's a form of praise to the very name of the living God. So you start off with praise. When I was in Sunday school, we learned about the praise sandwich. You know, we, we have praise, then we have supplication, then we ended off with praise. You know, it's like a big old hamburger, right? You know, and um, you, you start off, with, you got to start off with praise. Then you can ask God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know, give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, uh, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we we uh, we start off with that praise, and then we give all of our requests, and then we end it off with praise. And that that's a great... Well, see, that's the form of prayer that we call supplication. Supplication is simply asking God for stuff. That's not the only kind of prayer, and it's certainly not the only kind of praise. Praise is definitely involved in that, though. So when he's telling us that, he's saying you start off with acknowledging God in heaven and you're praising you, you're praising him with a reverence. So this is kind of like how you enter in. We always have to enter in with that praise. Now, this is not just a crazy Pentecostal apostolic spirit-filled thing that we do because our mentors and leaders and pastors, uh, that's the way they did it and so we do it. And I know sometimes we do it because of that. But that's not why it's being done. We're doing it because somewhere a long time ago, somebody learned after they got filled with the Holy Ghost, their heart wants to praise God and they need to praise God. And, you know, just like the psalmist says, what is it, chapter 34, uh, Psalm 34, you know, uh, I will praise the Lord at all times. You know, his praise will, or I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth or on my lips. Yes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know, how, how do you do that? Well, somebody was reading the Psalms and they were understanding this is not just a kooky, evangelical, charismatic, spirit-filled thing to do because people are just ecstatic and emotional. Well, we could look around on this, this, um, this meeting tonight and we can see, probably see all kinds of temperaments. We can see extroverts. We can see introverts. We, we can see real go-getters. And we can see more laid-back folks. Uh, there's all kinds of different po people represented on this uh, Zoom tonight. So why are we all considered emotional um, fanatics? No, we're not. We're doing it. Some, sometimes we're doing it because we're led to do it. But if we can understand that there's a reason behind it, then I believe that we're going to be able to get into the throne room quicker because when we look at a psalm that says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and we can understand that there is a, yes, thanksgiving, that's a pretty good definition of that. The King James did a pretty good job. But if you can understand, there's even a deeper meaning behind it. And there's four different types of praise represented just going through the gate even before you get to, rep, uh, uh, to the, the um, brazen uh, altar, sorry for stumbling there, 
then it's going to really help us because this stuff will become like second nature to us after a while. We're just going to be like my king and my God. You know, you know, uh, you know. I I lay myself down. I take up my cross, even as you did. You know, and and just I mean, but without even hardly thinking about it, we're just going to get into this stuff. So anyway, the first word I want to talk about is a word called barach. Uh, normally, we would in English we would try to say it barak. Um, it is Barak, if you want to pronounce it uh, in Hebrew. It, uh, it simply means to bless. We do see this in here at the very end of that verse, and bless his name, that's the word Barak. It means to bless, and it also means to kneel. And what we're going to find out is about 85% of Hebrew words has a very concrete, literal meaning and more of an abstract, figurative meaning. Am I going too fast so far? Okay, good. So this works in English too. A lot of English words have both literal and figurative meanings. It's it's not a problem. If um, if someone uh, if we, we if we call Jesus our rock, uh, it's not a problem. We we know we're not envisioning an actual big huge rock up in heaven. We're just talking about the attributes of strength and foundation. So metaphor and simile and. And these kind of comparative language is not a problem in any language, really. But Hebrew has quite a lot of this language. About 85% of all Hebrew words have figurative meanings. And uh, so they can always be bumped up into higher categories. So this word means to bless. Now, what is the Hebrew idea of a blessing? Sometimes, because we, we use the word blessing uh, in English... You know, however you were you were raised to to say the word bless or bless you or God bless you or oh that was a great blessing. You might have different ideas of what to bless means, but in the Hebrew mindset, the word bless means to make to prosper. Okay, if you're blessing someone, you are giving them an opportunity to prosper. It it can be a gift. It can be instruction. It can, it can be any manner of help, you know, but you're blessing them. You're blessing them with finance. You're blessing them with a wife. You're blessing them with something. And this really goes heavily into the patriarchal blessing. Um, here in Fresh Fire, if you've been with us for any time at all, you have heard about the father-son ministry. You know, if, you, if you've been around us at any length of time, you have heard uh, Brother Dean talk about fathers and sons and, and about the importance of that kind of ministry in this last church, in this last age of the church, you know, and well, what I believe is the last age. But um, so we, we, we're talking a lot about Malachi these days and the spirit of Elijah, Elijah coming to bring the hearts of the fathers to the children hearts of the children to the fathers. And um, we see that in Israel, in the patriarchs, who we call Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we call them the patriarchs, we see that the blessing was extremely important and that when they blessed their sons, they weren't just speaking over them. So when you bless someone, we're not, we're not just talking about what you say, although what you say is often going to be part of that. Now, if I handed you a $10,000 check and said not a word to you, I'm still blessing you. I'm blessing you with an amount of money. 
even if I never spoke it over you. But we found out if you will speak along with the gift, if you will release the blessing with your mouth, because our mouth is a creative force given to us by God, if you will say, take this with my blessing and you be blessed in it, you will actually see that $10,000 offering go a lot further and do a lot more things if you will also speak the blessing along with the gift. It's just a principle that we find in life, a, a, a releasing of the blessing. So I won't get off too much into that, that verbal stuff, but it, it's just, just something I've found out in my own life uh, through the help of the Lord, obviously. Everything comes from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of light. So I'm not taking any credit on my own. But anyway, what they would do is they would bless their sons. And it got so specific that when Jacob tricked Isaac into giving him the blessing instead of his brother Esau, what happened was when Esau came along and said, here's your venison, can I get my blessing now? Isaac, for a few minutes, was confused, and they finally figured out, hey, Jacob stole the blessing, and Esau said, well, can't you give something to me? And Isaac basically said, there's nothing left to give you. I've already blessed him with uh, corn, and I've blessed him with this, and I've blessed him with victory over his enemy. I've blessed him with all that. He's like, what's left? You know, what do you mean? Uh, those were just words. No, they weren't just words. The blessing was so powerful that when these fathers spoke these blessings over their sons, it was a done deal in the heavenly realm it had not yet played out in the, the timeline, but it was a done deal. When they said it, it was done. And when they blessed their sons, they were causing them to prosper. They were going to have to walk it out, but they were going to prosper. And if you look, the only thing, and you can find that story, of course, in Genesis, but when you read the story, you find out that Esau was not necessarily left with nothing, but he kind of had to eke it out on his own, the only thing his dad was able to give him, he said, you will actually cast off your brother's bondage or influence or his, his, his kind of authority over you. I'll, I'll give you that much. And that, that's exactly what Esau did later in life. But what happened to Jacob? Well, Jacob was blessed. He was, he was mightily blessed. He went out to his uncle Laban's and um, he just got blessed out there. You know, he used a little trickery, but yet he was mightily blessed. When he came back into the land, he was a very renowned man with lots and lots of goods, money, whatever. And he also got a name change. He got his ministry reworked. He had supernatural experiences at Bethel. And none of this stuff happened until he was blessed by his father. He didn't have his experience at Bethel until Isaac said, you're going to be blessed. He gets out there in a portal to heaven opens up. Now that doesn't just happen every other Tuesday. You know, he's out there uh, sleeping uh, with, a, with a rock as his pillow and, and the heavens open up over him because his natural father, and it's also his spiritual father in that case, spoke a blessing over him. So when we talk about blessing, we're, we're talking about things that will cause you to prosper. But its literal meaning is to kneel. So now our challenge is to getting into that Hebrew mindset is how is a blessing in kneeling going to, how does that line up? 
and another side, another question is, how could we ever bless God then? If, if, if the word barak in Hebrew is a form of praise to God, how on earth are we ever going to cause God to prosper? Well, by kneeling. <laughs> we kneel in the, in the form of a servant because when we're kneeling, we're positioning ourselves to serve. Uh, the idea is a servant would kneel at the door waiting for his master to come home. He would have a basin of water and his master, he would take, unlace his master's sandals. He would take his master's foot. He'd wash his foot from the road dust. He would dry it off with a towel. He'd bring the other foot in, wash that off, dry it off, and his master would continue on. And he would either give him a different form of footwear or, or he'd go barefoot into the house. So the, the servant is there kneeling. So this is a way to cause his master to prosper. He's prospering his own master, even though it's his master that gives him everything he has. So when we kneel before God, what we're doing is we're positioning ourselves as a servant so that all God wants to do through us is accessible through us. And so therefore, we cause the will of the purpose and the kingdom of God to prosper on the earth. And back to the Lord's Prayer, that's the very point. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it's already a done deal in heaven. How do we, how do we make God prosper? How could we possibly bless God by kneeling in front of God. And so that's the reason why that word also very literally means kneel. So when we're looking at Psalm 100 and we see enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, be thankful in him and bless his name, we're saying what we're really seeing is cause his name to prosper in the earth. Let it start with you by kneeling before him so that his name it will shine forth out of you. There's another word that actually means to shine. We'll get to that in a minute. But it, it gets even worse than that. Over in Revelation chapter 5, you can keep your finger in Psalm 100 if you want to. But in, um, in Revelation chapter 5, in verse 11, it says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. What they were doing is these beasts and angels and elders, they were all saying, Lord, receive power. Lord, receive riches. Now, how can you give God power? How can you give the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lamb of God, how can you give him wisdom? How can you give him money or strength or honor or blessing? Well, you can. You can by simply kneeling and making yourself available to him. So that, that verse in the Psalms becomes a lot more meaningful if we just know the meaning of one of its Hebrew words. And there, there's various scriptures that we can, we can point out uh, I know we're getting short on time, so uh, maybe we won't go through all these. But, you know, I've tried to keep them all in Psalms just to keep the page turning to a minimum. But Psalm 512, 
we see, For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him with a shield. In other words, you'll cause them to prosper. That's from God to us. We see in Psalm 28, verse 9, it says this, Save thy people and bless thine inheritance. Feed them also and lift them up forever. So we always see that the word blessing is a way to prosper for us, but it doesn't stop there. In verse 11 of Psalm 29, it says, The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. In Psalm 37, 22, we're going to switch it up a little bit. And it says, For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. So if you're blessed by God, you're prospering and you'll inherit the earth. Psalm 63. I'm going as quick as I can. I uh, hope I'm giving you enough time to write this down if you'd like to. If not, it's being recorded, so don't worry about it. Uh, Psalm 63, verse 4. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. So now we're seeing David offer it back to God. The verses before that were always coming our way. Now we're seeing David bringing the blessing back to God and somehow not presumptuously giving to God prosperity. Uh, chapter 68 of the Psalms, Psalm 68, verse number 26. Bless ye God in the congregations, even the Lord from the fountain of Israel. In other words, from the blessings that you've gotten from God, give back to him the blessing he deserves. And finally, in 103, uh, Psalm 103, if I can get there, yes, Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So we, we threw a lot of stuff out at you uh, about blessing. So let's move into the, the next one, and that's halal. The word halal, you may recognize, that's where we get the word hallelujah from. So when we're saying hallelujah, I uh, when I was a kid, I used to hear this all the time. If you want to speak the same word in every language, just say the word hallelujah, because it means the same word in every language. Well, not really. Uh, it is a Hebrew word. It is absolutely a Hebrew word uh, that maybe every language on the earth has adopted that form of praise. But I learned as a kid the word hallelujah means a thousand praises to God. Well, it doesn't really mean that. That's just a nice way to think about it. It does mean praise to the Lord. The last end of the word hallelujah is the word Yah. That is a shortened form of Yahweh or Yahovah, the name of God. So when we're saying Yah at the end of that word, we're seeing praises to the Lord. So when we say praise the Lord, we're saying hallelujah in English. I mean, does that make sense? So we, we, we may not be using the name of God and we may not uh, we may be using a more generic form of the word praise, but that's really what we're doing. So we say praise the Lord, that's that's the same thing as saying hallelujah. So some churches, when the pastor gets up and starts the service and he says, Praise the Lord, the whole congregation says, Hallelujah. Because they're just responding to the command of praise the Lord, and they're using the Hebrew form of that. We have a whole list of what is called the Halal Psalms at the back of the Psalms. And uh, whenever 
pretty much you see like Psalms like 117. It says, oh, praise the Lord. You see the hallelujah there. Um, if we see uh, Psalm 119 moving forward into some of these, uh, we, we can look at some of these other ones down. Yes, Psalm 135 says, praise you the Lord, praise you the name of the Lord. That's hallelujah. At the beginning of, um, at the end of that psalm, praise you the Lord, that's hallelujah. So we see a lot of these psalms, we call them the halal psalms, because many of them will begin and end with a hallelujah. So what does halal mean? Halal means to shine. You know, I um, years ago, kind of the, the, uh, the, the vineyard type churches uh, would sing a song, shine, Jesus, shine. You know, and uh, we never really sung that at our church, but it, it was kind of a catchy little tune. And, uh, you know, other church, you know, the charismatic church down the street, they would sing it. But we, we never sang that because it was more of a charismatic -y song. And, but really, <laughs> praises to God, no, no denomination can own, you know. And <laughs> so we can sing any praises to God. Amen. But I always kind of like that song. I always kind of like that shine, Jesus, shine. And we see that the word halal literally means that. It means to shine, but it also means to boast. And it means to be foolish or to act crazy. And, and, and I'm, I'm not kidding you. It literally can mean in the Bible to act foolish or crazy, to boast. And um, we see an example in 1 Samuel uh this is 1 Samuel chapter 21. First Samuel 21, uh, verse number 13, it says, And he changed his behavior. You're talking about King David when he was taken to the Philistines. Uh, verse 13, And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard and then Achish uh, said, uh, said Achish to his servants, Lo, see this man is mad. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So we see Achish was, of course, a Philistine, and uh, he didn't know the things of God, and he didn't know the ways of God. And it's funny that David was actually playing out a Hallel praise and because this guy was a pagan, he couldn't understand the importance. And he went so far as to say, will you bring a madman into my presence? Will you let a madman into my house? Because David was acting crazy. Now, we know that he was literally acting crazy. He was trying to save his life. But this means to shine, to boast, to act nuts. So it's the kind of praise, it's like the all-out praise. And there are times when God will call us to an all-out praise. There are times where he'll call us into a prayer room or into a church service or to a home Bible study, whatever it might be, and we immediately fall on our face before God. We, we, we bow down to him, if you will. Now, that's, that's worship in, in a nutshell, bowing down to God. Every form of worship is bowing down and serving God. Uh, no matter what we're doing, our hearts are bowing to God. But in certain forms of praise, we kneel before the Lord in a barak kind of praise. In the halal type of praise, when we say hallelujah, 
technically, if we say hallelujah, we're not really saying hallelujah because hallelujah it needs a an oomph behind it. It needs an absolute crazy man or woman to 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 really sing a hallelujah. Um, uh, Bethel uh, Bethel praise music uh, came out with a song a couple years ago. It says I raise a hallelujah. You know, and you guys have probably heard that song. And I don't know. I get chills every time I hear that. You know, I raise a hallelujah. My my praise is my uh, is my weapon of war. And uh, it's like when you raise that hallelujah up, something rah, comes out of you. A wild man will start coming out of you. And there's times when we begin to approach God, the wild man has to come out. And it doesn't depend on your personality. It, it you know, that, that's, uh, that's what I call uh, cop-out Christianity. You know, when we say, well, my, I don't have that kind of personality uh, you know, I'm not like Brother Jared, who can just let loose, you know. Uh, I'm not like Dean, who can just roll around on the floor. I'm not like those guys. Now, no, no, you don't have to have their personality. But these men have tapped into something that may be a little bit more in line with their personalities, but that, that's not an excuse. We, you know, we, if, that when God calls us before him to be the madman, we need to come before him like a madman and just be like, hallelujah! I mean, but Jeff Arnold used to say it like this. He said, it ought to be dangerous to go to church with you. You know, it ought to be dangerous uh, when you start praising God to, next to your neighbor because you don't know what that madman's going to start doing. Now, it may be that every time we come into church or, or whatever, it may be that that form of praise is not warranted. I don't know. But we're going to find it often because how often do we say hallelujah? We say hallelujah every day, right? Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But this is not just a pre, pre-recorded loop that we're plugging into our little brain program there. No, this is some. If you're going to be like King David, acting like a madman, it's going to have to be on purpose. See, we think acting crazy is, oh, that poor fella, he's just nuts. He's got no choice. He's got a few screws loose. He's got a few wires crossed. He's, uh, his ham is sliding off his sandwich, you know, uh, you know we, whatever we want to say about him. And, uh, you know, he, he's got no choice but to act crazy. No, this kind of crazy is, is on purpose. It's shine. We have to shine. You know, when we shine Jesus, we got to do it on purpose. Praise God. And that boasting comes along with that. You know, like uh, Psalm 18, verse 3. I can get there real quick. Uh, Psalm 18, verse 3 uh, says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. This is exactly what David was doing. I mean, it it says in um, the beginning of that, uh, that the superscription says to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love the Lord, O Lord, my strength 
The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I'll, I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Who is worthy to act like a madman for, who is worthy to boast about, who is worthy to shine. And this is how we're going to be saved from our enemies. Sometimes we just have to get wild. I mean, if the devil's clicking your earlobes or knocking you in the skull or tripping you up, it's time to get mad enough to act like a crazy man and start raising a hallelujah. Praise God, a real hallelujah, a halal praise. And we, we've, got a, we've got a few more uh, back to Psalm 34 again as quick as I can. Just give you a few biblical examples because, of course, we all read these as praise words in English. And we don't know the subtle differences in Hebrew. In Psalm 34, 2, it says, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. You know, a lot of people don't like the wildness of praise. And they say, those people are crazy, and they leave. But it says, the humble will hear and be glad. We'll know who's really humble when they see us acting like crazy people and say, I like that. I like that. There's something about that that's very powerful. And again, in Psalm 56, this is the last one I use for this idea. From Psalm 56, verse number four, um, it says it like this: "In God I will praise His word. In God have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me." In other words, he's saying, in God, I will act like a madman. In God, I will boast in his word. In God, I will shine forth his praise. And I don't have to worry about what anybody thinks of me. Praise God. Now, if you, if you think these were just crazy ideas that have been brought to us by our leaders, nope, they're not as crazy as you think they were. They're crazy, just not as crazy as you think they were, okay? Praise God. So... We're gonna we're gonna go into a similar a similar word the word shabach or actually shabach in Hebrew and uh, I'll try to do this as quickly as I can. This one seems to be contradictory to a Western mindset, but if you will turn to Psalm sixty three, we'll just go ahead and start off t turning there. Psalm sixty three. We're gonna be talking about the shabach. Um, some of our people on here who have been to Brother Bell's church, they always, uh, this is a pastor up in New Hampshire, uh, they always end their service off with what they call a Shabbat praise. And what they'll do is they'll make a drum roll on their drums, and at the count of three, everybody goes, Hallelujah! And again, it's become a tradition in their church, and I'm not speaking against Brother Bell or his people or their traditions, I'm just saying it's become kind of like a flat, dead tradition in the church that's really kind of almost meaningless because no one's really paying much attention anymore, especially since the whole idea of a Shabbat praise is to address in a loud voice. If you have ever been standing next to someone in church who's hurting your eardrums while they praise, don't disparage okay don't don't put them down and don't act like they should just calm down a little bit uh, if you need to put some earplugs in go ahead and do that 
we we have a <laughs> we have a brother in our church that has sensitive ears. He puts earplugs in. And that's fine. If that's what you need to do, you do that. Praise God. And um, or maybe you go to the other side of the church, or maybe you try to address the Lord in a loud voice too. <laughs> maybe that's the way to do it. But in Psalm sixty three. Uh, verse number three, it says, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Because you are so good, your loving kindness is better than my life itself. If you have ever found anything better than life itself, it should cause you to have a very loud response. You know, uh, the book of Peter, First uh, Peter says, He has given a given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. When you find the source of life itself, who is better than all physical, earthly life, my goodness, it causes something loud to come out of you. And so whenever you, you're around us crazy people that like to raise our voices and just scream and shout and uh, you know do some nuts, nutsy things, um, don't get too worried. We, we may not have flipped our wigs just yet. We might just be operating in the Holy Ghost. So again, these are not just Pentecostalisms. These things go all the way back to ancient days. That The Lord was addressing these things all the way back to the beginning. This is, this is our normal response to God. And it's like, well, uh, Brother Marcus, why are you taking so long to lay these out? Like I said before, if I can do anything tonight and encourage you to go ahead and try these things, you will find, and I'm going to go ahead and put a Holy Ghost guarantee on this, you will find your entrance into the throne room that much more accessible. And when you get before the throne of grace, good stuff starts happening. Good stuff starts happening. When you can get in to the presence of God. You've got all the healing you need. You've got all the strength you need. You've got all the anointing you need. And you can see awesome stuff happen that you could never have done otherwise because you are in a place that you were otherwise not in. So the contradictory thing about a Shabak praise is it means to address in a loud voice or tone, but it also, now this is the crazy part, it also means to soothe or to pacify. Now, how on earth can you scream at somebody and pacify them? Well, that doesn't make any sense to the Western mindset. It makes, I mean, if you if your kids are really acting up and you say, knock it off! You know, they might shut up real quick, but their souls might not be too pacified. But when I think of this particular Shabbat praise, I think of when Jesus was woken up from a nice little snooze at the bottom of the boat, and his disciples were saying, Oh, God! And these are Some of these guys were trained fishermen. And, uh, you know, Oh, we're going to die! And you're just sleeping! Why are you going to let us die? So he gets up there and said, What's the problem, boys? And he says, Peace! Be still! I personally believe Jesus said with a very loud voice, Knock it off! And all the wind and the waves pacified immediately. So just because you're saying peace with a loud voice doesn't mean it's wrong. Because the whole idea of a Shabbat praise 
is to pacify with a loud voice. What you're doing is when the enemy is coming with you, you rail at him. Now, I, I understand. The book of Jude says even Michael the archangel durst not bring a railing accusation against Satan. I get that. But rather he said, the Lord rebuke you. However it needs to be done, you know, however it needs to be done and how whatever channel the Lord is, is allowing you to go through, there are times that you literally need to raise your voice at the devil and say, get lost, buddy. You know, this is something that I, I you know, mentors like my, my own dear father who's passed away in the Lord uh, taught me. He taught me, raise your voice. Learn how to raise your voice. Learn how to get off alone somewhere and raise your voice. Learn how to praise God at the top of your lungs. And he goes, and not just that, when the devil's messing with you, learn how to get mad enough at that devil to raise your voice and just rebuke him in the name of Jesus. And uh, I was telling some of the brothers in our church a couple weeks ago, I was, I was walking around the church one day, and it's, it's kind of a routine of mine. I've, I've kind of worn some grooves in our carpet down here over the 20 years of pastoring, you know, because uh, I just kind of walk in a circle around the chairs and, and I pray and, you know, but there's times where the spirit of the Lord just comes on me so strong. I'm in there just screaming and shouting. Now, in the old days before I had a child, you know, I was at the church alone, no problem. There's nobody to disturb. And um, one day I'm just yelling at the top of my lungs, I'm sick and tired of you devil. You get out of this place. And I'm walking back in the back, those of you who have been to our church uh, out out of the, the 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 sanctuary door up near the platform, it leads into the bathroom areas. I'm going back there, and this woman screams bloody murder. It was an electrical meter reader that had come in the back door. They had a key to the church because our meter was inside. All she could hear was somebody screaming and yelling, "You get out of here in the name of Jesus, you stinking rotten devil!" And she screams, ah! and I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, miss. Uh, I, I was just praying, you know, and, you know, but <laughs> so sometimes some crazy things can happen. But yeah, you know, I tell you what, I never, I never find greater success when I'm fighting the devil as when I'm raising my voice at him. And I'm pacifying. It, of course, the Lord through me, and we're not discounting the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost in me is pacifying the spirit realm when we literally raise our natural voice. So, folks, if I can encourage you, learn how to raise your voice when you praise. Learn how to raise your voice when you're in warfare prayer. Uh, if it hurts the guy next to you's ears, uh, maybe you can bring some earplugs to church and just offer him a set of earplugs, you know, or, or, or maybe, uh, maybe if, if you see him going like this, maybe, maybe take a few steps away. I, I don't know, but learn how if you're in your car going to work and you, and you nicked yourself shaving that day and you spilt your coffee on your tie and, and you, you know, you, you got into a little minor fender bender on the way to work and, you know, it's, it's about time to start saying, devil, get out of my day. And you will watch him leave. You you will watch him start scampering away. Anyway, I'm taking I'm taking too much time. Let's get into the next one. Tehillah. Tehillah. Um, it's um, actually the word Hillal 
is incorporated into this word. We've already talked about halal means to shine or to boast. In this particular form of praise, well, we could have gone through a, another couple on the Shabbat, uh, Shabbat, so, sorry. Uh, let me just read those real quick. I'm getting too excited. Um, Psalm 89 verse 9 says, Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves there arise, thou stillest them. Thou rule, I mean, in other words, you calm the raging, and the word is incorporated there when it says you, you stillest them, it's the word Shabbat. The, the voice of the Lord, his loud voice, causes the waves to get still. And that's what we see with Jesus. And another one in Psalm 106, we see one more idea. Let me just lay that out for you as quick as I can. Psalm 47 says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph, triumph in thy praise. This is a loud voice that wins battles. Okay, so moving on to Tehillah. It simply means a hymn or a song. In fact, uh, the collection of psalms in Hebrew is called the Tehillot, or in the book of psalms in Hebrew is the Tehillim. And you don't have to remember those Hebrew words, but it just simply means the songs or the hymns, what we in 400-year-old English call psalms. And it's, it's a collection of these things. We don't have the music for it, of course, but we know that these are all poetic forms. And so this is a collection of all these songs. It also means public praise. Now the word hilal means to shine or to boast, and you can only really do that in a public way. But tehillah in particular is the type of praise you bring to the congregation or you bring to a public place. It also means a song or a hymn. And there's one more level to this praise. It means the kind of praise that bubbles up spontaneously in your spirit. Um, and it seems to be usually in the form of song. Now I'm going to use one New Testament scripture here to outline that, that point, And that is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 15. It says, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. And Paul says in a couple of places, I believe in Ephesians and also Colossians, he talks about making melody in your heart. So these are not just praise and worship songs, even though that's what they are. So when, typically when we sing praise and worship songs in the church, what we typically do is we, we have them written out, we know all the music, and we play along. Now we, we're being led by the Spirit, and the Spirit's working through them, and that's wonderful. But that can certainly be included in this, because after all, all these psalms are written down. They are written down psalms. There's not, nothing wrong with that. But uh, we're also, maybe we'll read the, the one that talks about a new song. A new song is, is a song that is spontaneously erupting out of your spirit. And it's something that happens in the congregation. Now, a lot of times I think apostolics kind of shy away from this because we've seen a lot of this in the more charismatic type churches. But charismatic just means gifts of the Spirit. We, we don't need to be afraid of any kind of gifts of the Spirit. And just because some other group that doesn't baptize in Jesus' name, doesn't, uh, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong to sing by the Spirit and to sing in tongues and to sing spontaneously as the Spirit even gives them English words to sing. 
Now, I, I, I don't feel like I, I can talk too much about that because I, I have never mastered this kind of praise myself. This is not something that I have, and I'm going to say yet. I'm going to go ahead by faith say yet, because I believe the Lord wants us all to really get involved with these forms of praise. And if this is one of them, then bless God, let's, let's, let's have it. Let's have it. And um, so it, as quickly as I can, let me just read some of these, uh, some of these examples in, in the Bible, and we'll move on to the last three. Uh, so this is, again, Tehillah. And uh, we're looking at Psalm 9, and it says in verse 14, That I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. This is Tehillah-type praise. In other words, it's always going to be amongst the people of God. I will rejoice publicly, openly, as the Lord leads me. Um, this, this can be a very public expression and that's kind of a little nerve-wracking because we, we we all have a little bit of self-consciousness to deal with and some people have more than others psalm 22 3 says but thou art holy o thou that inhabitest the praises of israel we already uh halfway quoted that earlier tonight uh psalm 40 verse number three says this and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. So in this verse, we see all the different forms. It's a song, but it's a new song. It's a spontaneous eruption, and it's also in front of people. This can get a little nerve-wracking, or it's something that you might be self-conscious in. So what my dad, uh, the advice he gave me years ago was, Marcus, get out there. Get out in the woods by yourself. Get out in your car by yourself. Get out to the beach when no one else is around and just scream to the top of your lungs. Just yell and cry out to God and lose that self-consciousness. And I can't tell you how much it's helped in my own spiritual life over the years to just do these kind of things. So I'm just encouraging you uh, to do that kind of thing. Well, last one in Tehillah or Tahilah praise is the... 149, Psalm 149, all the way at the end. Verse number one, praise you the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise in the congregation of saints. So there's always something about this public display. Should we put ourselves on display? Well, it is encouraged in the Bible. It is encouraged in the Bible. It's a level that maybe we should have left this to the very last one, because it seems to be one of the higher levels that not a lot of people get involved in. Maybe it's because it really takes a kind of a really spiritual movement to do that. But uh, anyway, that was Tahilah. We're going to go into another one. One of my one of my favorite ones is Todah. Todah is is a word that incorporates the word hand. The word hand in Hebrew is Yad. We actually have two different word uh, of these praise words, Yada and Todah, both that have a at their root the word hand in Hebrew, it's yod, which means both of these forms of praise are going to be ways that we use our hands. We've already read a verse that says raise your, you know, lift up your hands. And there's tons of verses in the Bible that tell us to lift up our hands. What is it about lifting up your hands that becomes praise? Is it just another Pentecostalism? Is it just another apostolic 
No, this stuff, like this is something Chester Wright said years ago. He said, this stuff isn't Pentecostal. This stuff is Jewish. You know, this stuff was all the way back in the Hebrew scriptures. The Pentecostals didn't make this stuff up. So what is it about lifting your hands? Well, there's a lot of things about lifting your hands. If you lift your hands in kind of a, a, a V-shape, it is a natural it is a natural expression of triumph, victory. I've won. That's the reason why when you see runners cross that, that, that finish line and they break through the tape, they almost always put their hands up like this. It's a natural expression. No one had to teach them how to do that. It's a human expression of victory. So sometimes when we're praising God, we're praising God from victory. There's other times when we raise our hands in a little bit different way. We might put our hands out like this. This is more of a surrender. There's other times we might raise our hands like this. This is more of an offering praise, a thanksgiving praise. And that's exactly what todah is. Todah means thanksgiving. It's to hold your hands out, not necessarily to receive, but it's to hold your hands out in an offering unto God. You are offering yourself up to him. you know. And it doesn't mean we can't lift our cup up to the Lord and have him fill it up. And a lot of times it's exactly what will happen. But this word todah, it means thanksgiving. It means hands out, palms up. It's an offering of praise. It's a sacrificial thanksgiving. You know, and what are we thanking God for? We're thanking God for all we have been given. And we're also, in a form of thanksgiving, offering him our first fruits, our offering, our tithe, whatever it is. When um, in some of the feasts, uh, in the first fruits offering, uh, basically three different times of a year, and we won't get into the feast tonight, but basically at the the Bikarim offering, which is the first fruits offering right after Passover, also at Pentecost, and also at the, around the time of trumpets, you will always have these first fruits offerings. And the priest would take a por certain portion of the meat and he would wave it before God. He would wave it as a wave offering before God saying, this is for you. Now, technically the priests themselves would eat it, But they were saying, this is a symbol of the people giving to your kingdom, to your ministry. So they would wave it before the Lord. And when we todah before God, this, this is the expression. We're, we're in total surrender. We're in a total offering mode. Lord, this is just me giving you praise. And that, that's really all, all, all it comes down to. Psalm 50 Yeah, verse number 14 and 23 outlines this idea very well. In uh, Psalm 50, verse 14, it says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. In verse 23, says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. So again, these are very, very, very important forms of praise that we all need to get involved in. Uh, 116, Psalm 116, verse 17, and we'll move on to the next one. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Uh, in other words, the dead offer nothing to God. It's the same idea as in Psalm 150 that says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. In other words, if there's life in you, 
that offer to God. And that, that's really the whole idea there. Okay, as quickly as we can, let's move right into the sixth one. And we'll try to finish these last two up. The, the sixth one is Yada. And this is one of my favorite ones. It literally means to throw, to shoot, or to cast. The idea of Yada praise is a spear in the hand. It's the position of your hand up, like with a spear in your hand, about ready to cast. Now, uh, Brother Josh, uh, last Friday night, he was talking about that spear. And um, I, I was getting excited, you know, because he was talking about a form of praise. You know, he was talking about that spear in the hand, and that is a form of praise. You know, we're not casting the spears at God. But this kind of praise is, is warfare, and the word yada is one of the most common words for praise that we find in the entire Bible. Um, if you uh, quickly turn to Genesis chapter 29, verse 35. I, I know I'm going late, but uh, I'm almost done. Um, Genesis 29, verse 39. Uh, well, 29, verse 35, sorry. Uh, this is Leah, and she's having children, and she had her fourth son. She called him Judah. Verse 35 of Genesis 29 says, And she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. The word uh, Judah in Hebrew is Yahudah, and it comes from Yada. So she literally named her son after the praise form Yada. And Judah, of course, was the lion. You know, his symbol being the lion, that's the lion that David came from, the warrior. And also, this is the line, obviously, that Jesus himself came from. So this, this Judah, his very name means praise, and it comes from the praise form Yada. And it's a word that can mean a lot of things. It's a very kind of general praise term, but it's always in the sense of having your hand raised, ready for action. It can mean literally to throw, shoot, or cast, but figuratively, it can mean to confess, it can mean to generally praise, and it can even mean to give God thanks. So we're seeing that it's one of those praises that can kind of generally incorporate a lot of the other ones. Maybe we would have, she should have started off with Yada and ended off with Tehillah. But anyway, because um, that's more kind of the praise that we're all kind of used to bringing. We're all kind of used to raising our hands. We're all kind of used to speaking the good things of God and, and giving God thanks and, and, and praises and things like that. So that's more of an entry-level praise, not, not to put it down because it means a wide variety of things. And uh, uh, there's, there's all kinds of verses that we can, we can bring up by that. I'll just, I'll just put a couple in here. Uh, Psalm 43, verse 5. Again, it's, it's all over the board, but Psalm 43, verse 5 says, Why art they cast down on my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. It, it's almost, and I hate to use this terminology, it's almost a generic form of praise, but if you don't know anything else, use it, use it, and, and get into the other forms. Psalm 18, verse 49 says, Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises to thy name. 
So here we're seeing, uh, again, it can be used for thanks in a more general type. Finally, we'll look at Psalm 9, verse 1. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all the marvelous works. So these are kind of almost general type praise scriptures, and, and that's where Yada comes in. The last one is Samar. It's a Z-A-M-A-R, a Zamar. It means literally to make music, to sing, or to dance. And I won't elaborate on that because I think it's self-explanatory. Uh, it literally makes music. It means to strum. It, it means to sing as well because in the Hebrew mindset, they understood that we have vocal cords. And we're literally, in a way, strumming our vocal cords when we sing. We're activating the strings in our throat. David also called our hands the ten-string instruments. So it also has to do with clapping our hands. It can be stamping our feet. It can be snapping our fingers, if that's what you want to do. Uh, it can mean singing, using our voice. It can also, I mean, Psalm 150 is all an example of praising God in music and song. And, and so just, you know, a couple examples, and I'll, I'll end with this. A couple examples is Psalm uh, 7, verse 17. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. 30, Psalm 34, uh, verse 4 says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. So what is the difference between Tahilah and Zamar? The difference is Tahilah is a song itself, and it's a public, it's a public form of worship, and it's also a spontaneous, bubbling up type of worship. Zamar is strictly is in the realm of kind of music and singing. It, it, there, there might be a subtle difference there, but we're praising the Lord with music, whereas the Tahilah is the is the song itself. Anyway, I, it may not make a lot of sense, but to to the Eastern mindset, it, there is a distinction. Last one, Psalm 66, verse number 4, says, All the earth shall worship thee, and shall sing unto thee, they shall sing to thy name. And so I'm kind of ending that off with that verse just to let us know, kind of like in what, what we see in the book of Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That word yabda in Hebrew means at times to confess. Even at the point where the priests were confessing the sins of Israel over that goat on the Day of Atonement. It's the word yabda, oddly enough, because usually it's used for praise or more of a generic or general form of praise, but in some cases it's used for confession. So every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. In this last psalm, it says the whole earth will sing. We'll, we'll all sing praises to God. So we might as well go ahead and get used to it now. And um, I know, I, as usual, I've been very long tonight. I hope I've said anything at all to be useful in this season uh, in your lives because... I, I can't describe fully what season we're in, but I, I do know this. I know that when we learn how to get beyond the veil at a moment's notice, 
things like what happened last weekend up in northern Ontario are going to be almost normal to the kingdom of God when we can start getting in like that. And I have personally found, and I know a lot of you have too, when we can learn how to get in quickly, as Brother Dean says, when we learn to dial in quickly, then we're going to see some miracle signs and wonders like we never have before in our life. I've been in apostolic churches my entire life, and I'm seeing stuff I've never seen before. And I think the Lord is telling us, I believe in a prophetic word, he will just speak it through me right now, we will see things we've never seen before. He is going to be blowing our minds. We already started to see it, and we're going to continue to see it. And I think one of the biggest keys is praise. If we can learn these different forms, if anything is useful, let go your self-consciousness and let spontaneous praise come up. Let the wild man come out of you. Yell at the top of your voice. Sing in the Spirit. Sing with understanding. Pray in the Spirit. Pray with understanding. I mean, my goodness, do whatever you can. Hit the devil between the eyes. I mean, whatever it takes. Praise the Lord your God. You're going to get beyond that veil. And you're going to see some awesome things happening. Huh. I think I'm I think I'm finished for tonight, brother. Praise God. <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you for listening to me for so long.